Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And look who is back on the pod after a hiatus. It is the one, the only Michael Felder from Stadium. Hello, my friend. Thank you guys for letting me come back, you know. (laughs) Well, I knew that you had been catching up on your Real Housewives while I was in basketball mode. So I didn't want to pull you out of that reality TV splendor. Yeah, I was listen. I was in my Real Housewives bag. Also, also Summer House. I did reinvigorate our Summer House group chat. Yeah, with, we need. Uh, we still need to full fully digest the season that was there. Oh yeah, so I'm in. I'm in that. But it's listen. It's draft time. I've got to go in studio uh, on Wednesday to do our last draft pre-draft show, and then on the draft day, I'm doing a little bit of television in Cleveland. So. It's gonna be one of those things where like it. This is it's real. Like the draft's happening. Honestly, I need it to happen. <laughs> I think a lot of us that work in the space are ready for it to happen so that we can just figure out. Honestly, Nicole, I think that, and I said this today when I was doing um, like a radio hit, the draft starts with Atlanta. And then we'll see how wild things are going to get. And and maybe Atlanta, maybe the draft starts with San Francisco is the better way to say it. San Francisco at three, like, do they take? Will they, won't they with Mac Jones or Trey Lance? And then then is Justin Fields just going to be hanging around there? Because to me, if Fields is still on the board at four, and then Atlanta has to pick between their quarterback of the future in Fields and bringing him back home, and Kyle Pitts, who's probably, arguably, one of the – he's either the first or second best player in the draft as a whole, or Pinay Sewell, who's probably the third, fourth best player in the draft – which one do you do? And then the rest of the draft kind of shapes out from there. So I'm just, I'm ready for Thursday to be here so we can see some answers instead of seeing conjecture. And we will get into that in a second, but um, I did just want to make sure we included this gem of a quote from Kyle Shanahan, who was asked on Monday if Jimmy Garoppolo will still be on the 49ers roster on Sunday. And he says, I can't guarantee that anybody in this world will be alive on Sunday, which 
true, but also speaks to just how weird football coaches are and the people making very big decisions. They got some weird to them. So just remember that as the backdrop for all of this. Speaking of weird, Felder, I got to know, what are you going to wear? Like, what is the, what, are you wearing a suit? I know that it's been an issue for you about ties, okay, dress attire. So I have not been given, I have not been told that I have to wear a tie for this, but I might just throw the bolo tie on anyways. I got the bow. Listen, I got it right here. I got the bolo tie. I might just have to toss it on and be ready to rock and roll with the bolo tie. I got an F bolo tie, gold and silver. It looks good. I love it. This bad boy, you can hear it clinking. This is the real deal. F bolo tie. Not playing around with that. So, yeah, I am. Um, if I got to go tie, I'm going bolo tie. If I got to go blazer, I got a nice little southwestern blazer to go with the bolo tie. So make sure you check that out on Stadium, folks. I am, yeah. I listen. I might I, listen. Me and Philip Rivers, right? Yeah. No, I'm excited. Um, looking forward to to seeing this in action and, and hearing your takes. And for this episode of Power Hour, I think what's important to start with is that we are college football people, and we have watched these players a lot, and. A lot of the people who will be talking about these players and have been talking about these players for the last few months are NFL folks. And one thing that Max Olson and I were discussing last week was how if you were an NFL writer, you'd think you'd watch college football because it is feeding into your sport. It's the minor league. That doesn't seem to happen. So what ends up happening is you get a lot of stuff filtered you get a lot of anonymous quotes, and you get a lot of narratives being shaken out here. So we're going to say that there are five prominent and annoying myths that we're going to debunk. There are stereotypes that come about draft season. There's a lot going on that we dislike, and we don't want to let that stand. We want to debunk it. We want to talk about five things that we have seen during this particular pre-draft cycle and why they're wrong. So I want you to fully tee off because I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. You're the former player here. Now, let's start with smoke screens. This is probably a good way to get into the Justin Fields conversation. As you said, what if he is available, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of the things that we hear about putting down certain players is to provide cover, is to position people better for drafts and trades. Let's start there. Number one, smoke screens. Yeah, smoke screens and bashing guys and releasing like negativity about guys is wild. Like it's one of those things where you're trying to drive down the price of a guy, they're trying to drive down the stock of a guy in order to get them later. And I think with fields, we're seeing that. We're seeing people. We're seeing people legitimately try to say that. Oh well, he's not that good. Uh, he's very good. He's been good for a long time. There's a reason why he ran neck and neck with Trevor Lawrence for the entirety of their high school and going into their college careers. And uh, honestly, up until a month and a half ago, they were running. 
They were running one, two, and Fields was the obvious two there, but still, he wasn't the three with Zach Wilson kind of elbowing his way into the mix. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, from a smokescreen standpoint because it's frustrating. Like, if you want the guy, just say you want the guy instead of trying to put out bad info about the guy and hope you can get the guy. That's the part that makes me frustrated is, and I get it, and listen, this I know you mentioned this draft cycle, but I understand, like, in the grand scheme of the NFL draft, um, my guy, Bomani Jones, he calls it the uh, open box special with respect to the uh, New England Patriots, like drafting guys that are quote-unquote damaged goods, but the reality is they're only damaged because other people talk trash about them and bash them, and so they fell off the board, and then you can get a guy that should have got picked 10 picks ago, you can get him a little bit later, and that's the thing that's curious to me about Fields is like, who wants him, and who wants him so bad that they're willing to put out the bad about him or put out trash about him to try to get him for a lower, a lower pick than what he should be, which I think he should be probably a top five pick. Yeah, I, I don't quite understand this either. When you, as you mentioned, this is someone who has been neck and neck with with Trevor Lawrence, the two to his one every single time they've been in lockstep throughout their careers he had a great college career I think a lot of people are really wondering really confused by this this smokescreen this potential fall from grace whatever it might be and it's such a backwards way of thinking as you just said that if you like someone that you kind of put bad stuff out there so that they fall and their value is less even though you want them right like that just doesn't make much sense and what it ends up doing is you see players getting knocked for really weird things during this whole process because they are trying to have them fall. And it's just, it just sits the wrong way. Like, I just, I dislike it. And what ends up happening if Justin Fields is the third quarterback drafted or whatever, right? Like, what happens if we just spent months on something that isn't even a thing? Yeah, it's, and that's, I, I think that what we find out pretty consistently uh, uh nicole is most of the time that's what happens <laughs> like we see guys that are just like okay well we're we are still gonna pick him so it's just it's just dragging a guy's name through the mud or trying to find a way to knock him off uh knock him down a peg and at the end of the day it's still if the player can play he's gonna play and you're gonna pick him and that's the reality and it's just it's i'm very frustrated by it because can you imagine if, like, if you're getting hired by the athletic and the athletic, they want to hire you. They want to hire you. And then they're like, they talk to SI or New York Times or USA Today, and they're like, you know, heard some weird stuff about her. Heard some, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. She's a little, she's a little lazy. Don't know if, don't know if she can really, she doesn't spell well. And all of a sudden they're like, Okay, yes, now we got her. Like, that's that's not good. No, it's not. And it's, it's very backwards. I don't like how this works. I also really have a huge problem with the way that people use anonymous sourcing in this stuff because, again, if you're not doing the legwork yourself, breaking down the film like someone like you does, Felder, and understanding this for yourself, you are relying on other people's interpretations of that sort of tape and that sort of information. And it is not 
it is not vetted. It is basically you are pushing, you are carrying someone's water for them who, again, might have a different agenda, probably does, but also wants a certain narrative out there that you are not pushing back on because you didn't do your your homework. You do, you're letting the anonymous scouts, anonymous personnel, anonymous GM, you're letting them drive the conversation because this happens every year and you want to be the one who has that juicy tidbit. Yeah, you want the juicy tidbit. You want the relationship with the agent. You want the relationship with the anonymous GM or anonymous scout. You want all those things. And it's, I don't know, I, I feel lucky because in my work, I don't have to care about any of those people. They don't mean anything to me. It's the relationships that I have with scouts, with the relationships I have with scouts and with, um, uh, with obviously with re- from a reporting standpoint, all those relationships I have are relative, are remarkably organic where we, we, you know this, we have like a pretty open dialogue and we don't always agree, but I say how I feel about a thing and then you can take it with a grain of salt or whatever, but the relationships I have with scouts and people that work in personnel departments is it, they're also those people talk to me because one, they know that I'm not going to talk to anyone. And two, they talk to me because they're like, I, they, they're not telling me stuff to deliver a message. They're telling me stuff because they're interested in my opinion on whether it's a player or what have you, especially this draft. This is my, these are my guys. And I want to get to that in last call, but these are my dudes. Like I love these kids. Like, so it's a lot more of that and a lot less of, I need to get this message out. Let me text, you know, Schefter and say this thing or in Schefter as an example, not because of bad practices or McShay or any of the other, other guys, but nobody's using me as a mouthpiece. They just, when I talk to people, like when I talk to agents, they're like, what do you think about this kid? And a lot, a lot more of that than a, and a lot less of, okay, well, let's get this out about a kid. And so there's that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Do you want to get into the next one here? Opting yeah, out? Yeah, so so the second big narrative this year in particular, um, but we've heard this in the past with with the bowl games, right? Like this is this has been a thing. Um it's been fascinating to see how quick it went from last summer and people being like, hey, listen, I think that it makes sense to be nervous about your health and safety, or you know, be nervous about your immediate family and Everyone's getting a year of eligibility, no pressure, you can opt out to now we have had coaches spin, and I'm sure they're telling NFL folks this too, that that player quit on the team. Like we have absolutely had narratives out there where you've had, I think even coaches and GMs have sort of addressed it directly saying, 
hey, uh, you know, we're going to have to make a decision whether or not we want to take opt-out kids. Like, as if it's this diseased class of athletes. How did we get here? Let's dispel this myth. Yeah, I'll be quick. I Listen, here's the reality of the situation. If a guy opted out, it's because he wanted to be able to be around, whether it's his grandmother or his mother or his dad or his brother or whoever it was. And he also wanted to ensure his safety. And whether that safety means on the field or off the field, I mean, we're talking about a guy in Xavier Thomas at Clemson who didn't opt out, who has lasting effects from COVID-19 when everybody thought – I talked to one of my – again, going back to talking to scouts, one of my friends who works in advanced scouting, I believe he's in Houston now, he used to work with the Pats, but he said that Xavier Thomas, the year that Clemson had four draft picks on their defensive front, He's like, I think, I think Xavier Thomas is the best one of them all. And now he might not be able to maximize that potential. Uh, so Rondell Moore opt out, then opt back in and the whole deal and all those things. I think about it with Gregory Rousseau. I think Rousseau, you want to talk about somebody that made himself some money by not playing is Rousseau because this is a draft that's very thin on defensive linemen. And he's got an opportunity to go out and, you know, he did his drills. And now somebody's going to get him probably in the first round and he's going to go make plays. So I think that. Jamar Chase is another one, obviously, as a, as a player who is who did opt out, but also, I mean, it, he showed us that he spent that entire time working on his body and working on his game, so he can really play. So I think the big key is going to be um, how the NFL receives them. I think that there's a very, very tiny, tiny element in the NFL of guys who are going to be upset about the opt-out. I think there's also what people don't realize about this is there's a lot of NFL guys that don't give a damn about college football. Like they don't care. And so while a college coach, and we've seen it in the past, whether it's, what was it? Pete Carroll saying that Sanchez shouldn't be in the draft or Brian Kelly saying that Kaiser shouldn't be in the draft and yada, yada, yada saying this guy's not ready. He should come back. We've seen coaches publicly make those statements. Obviously, they other guys make those statements in private. Private, I think at the end of the day, we're going to see the NFL teams. These guys want to keep their jobs. So they're going to pick the good players, or at least the players they view as the best players. So I think we need to get rid of this whole opt-out narrative. Yeah, that's how I feel. I don't think that you know people should really be holding – Making sweeping judgments about things, holding people to whatever standard they were in August of 2020 when it didn't, you know, you weren't sure if there was going to be a season. Some of the leagues were opted out. Like, you just, it's a lot to say that it is some sweeping commentary about, like, whether or not that player cares about football or quit on their team. And it's the same thing about these bowl opt-outs. Like, people wanted to make it about that. And by the way, those players still got drafted high where they should have been because it was making a business decision. It was avoiding it was avoiding a, a safety risk. It was the Sun Bowl, okay? Like, it, everyone ultimately understood that, and I think that will happen with the opt-outs, especially when you have interviews and you have context around it. The issue really is just that you have less information. You have less tape. So if a guy opted out and there's no combine, you know, like, you just don't have as much data to go off of like you normally would yeah that's that's what i meant about Rousseau. this is a guy that was a redshirt freshman had a really good redshirt freshman year opt out we've got this is the this is the window that we have and so we're going to go based on that window it's going to be interesting to see how it works out i'm glad you mentioned that because i tell you what there isn't a single carolina panthers fan that cares that christian mccaffrey opted out of the sun bowl 
Not a single one of them. They do not care. They are happy he's there. And he's obviously got a – he's already got a pretty good career, and he's going to keep going. So, let's go. Let's Speaking of players, let's get to the next one. All right. So, the third myth, stereotype, talking point narrative, whatever, that we despise here is that Devontae Smith is too small. We saw his measurements circling Twitter last week, his weight – First of all, has anyone seen him before? Because he is a very slim human. He had, did not get the nickname Slim Reaper because, you know, it was a joke. It was, this is a slim, svelte-looking dude um, that takes absolutely nothing away from how well he plays because, you know what, he won a Heisman at this size as well. Why is this a narrative? Why are people suddenly concerned about Devontae Smith's size? Well, I... I think it's the in a, this is one of the big things that I think about because I, I do a lot of recruiting. In recruiting, you're looking for as good as a guy can be in flashes of brilliance. And then when you go to the NFL, they're looking for ways to knock you down. And what the only way to knock down Devonta Smith is via his weight. He's six foot one. Okay, that's yeah, fine. Love we love a six. We stand. We love a six foot a six foot one wide receiver. But here's what I'm going to go through because. Devonta Smith played 14 games his freshman year, and then he played in 14 games his sophomore year. He made one game he didn't play. And then in 2019, this is a guy that did play another 13 games, which are all the games that Alabama played. And then in 2020, he played all 13 games. He's missed a single game, one game, out of his entire collegiate career. So you don't get to tell me that he's not durable. Because he's doing it. You don't get to tell me that he's not durable because he got 117 passes in a shortened season. He can do it. This guy, and maybe this is something people don't think about, and I hope the listeners think about this. He goes into that weight room every single day and does all the same stuff that Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson, Jalen Waddell, John Mechie, Dylan Moses. He does everything that they do. They all do the same thing. This kid is Bama built. I'll never forget... I'm trying to remember if it was the SEC championship game or the semifinal game, but he caught a touchdown on the right side of the field, and he landed on his tailbone. And my wife, who is a – you know my wife. She's a, she's a slim reaper of, of – of, she's, she's also a, sli, a bit of a slim reaper. And he fell right on his butt. And she goes, oh, my God, did he hurt his booty? And I said, he's Bama built. I bet he gets back up. And he gets back up. Rubs it a little bit and then runs off to the sideline because he just caught a touchdown. But that is the – I think people are – there's a couple things here because people don't realize that the size that you weigh in at isn't always the size that you play at. And he didn't do the thing that we've seen a lot of guys do when they, when they go to Indy, which is opt out of running but then weigh in at a weight that's heavier. And then they just do their pro day at their regular weight. We didn't have Indy. We didn't go to Indianapolis. So he didn't get to do those things. And so instead of boosting up his weight, he decided to play his regular. He Listen, this is what I am. I'm a, I, I'm a guy that weighs right around 170 pounds. I run fast. I jump high. I can contort my body and catch the football. That's who I am. And guess what? It got me through what they keep telling me 
is the toughest conference in all of college football, the SEC, and I caught 117 passes in one year. I caught a game-winning touchdown pass in the national championship game when I was a freshman. So tell me what I can't do. Okay, here, here's my question as well, because I agree. We're, we are told the SEC is the closest thing you can get to the NFL. It's more challenging in some ways, right, at different points, right? The grind, the physicality, athleticism. So if he checks in at 166, and that's what everyone freaks out about, if it's 170, 171, do we react the same? I, don't, I think it's a little bit different. I think it's something about like that specific threshold where like a couple of pounds caused the freak out. I see. Here's the thing. I think that ah, I think that everything under 175 feels small. Everything under 175. So what? It, so so you're saying he should have bulked up on like the Saint Elmo shrimp in a combine year just to avoid this issue. I'm glad he, I mean, if he, yeah, to avoid the issue, yes. And then just go back to his playing weight whenever, whenever he makes his NFL exactly. team. Like we, like I think about this, think about it this way. A guy who might be pushed up into the first round is Asante Samuel Jr. And he weighed in at around one, at like 180, 181 maybe. That guy don't play at 181. Absolutely not. He doesn't play at 181. He's, I've seen him. He's. He's a hundred. He's the same. He's 172 pounds. That's how he plays. I just think it's again. It sort of reminds me of freaking out over like the quarterback's hand size or something where it's the way that they've played for a long time now. And if you're going to cut somebody off your list or, you know, reorder your draft board over it, then that's your choice. But again, it, it doesn't need to you don't have to overthink these things. This is a Heisman winning receiver, which it's hard to do, by the way, from the SEC, who does things that are just really, 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 really hard to do for a lot of people, for for most people, but even a lot of other elite athletes. Like you did a great segment about that and about like when you freeze frame in slow motion, Devontae Smith, you see that stuff even more as well. And and I loved, you know, you're you also focused on his toe taps, which again, that's what you need in the NFL. He's going to be great. Okay. Let's move on to the the other one that is similar to this, which is the fourth myth or narrative. This is the one that sparked the idea for this show cuz we we got into it a bit on last call last week. But the idea that Trevor Lawrence is too well-rounded to be great in the NFL because he is not uniquely obsessed with the sport and and hate, hating losing so much that it detracts from the rest of his life that he just got married properly values that this is a game and he you know cares about other things and somehow this is going to affect his level of success in the NFL oh man well I don't know if you saw this, but the, the was it Brian Schottenheimer not offering him when he was at dog, at a dog night? So he's going to play for a, an OC that didn't offer him on dog night when he was there competing with uh, Jacob Eason and Bailey Hockman. Obviously, Bailey Hockman, Florida State to NC State. And so that's going to be that story. That there have been multiple interesting Trevor Lawrence stories. If you guys haven't seen that one, check that one out. But this story with Trevor Lawrence is even more remarkable because 
and I'll kind of peel back the curtain here. As someone who wor- has worked in recruiting for a while, the biggest question that I have was I had was not does he care about football enough? It's how will he fit in a locker room, especially with Clemson coming off Hunter Johnson and Hunter Johnson not really fitting into that locker room. You wondered, okay, well, they're going to bring this other quarterback in. Is he going to fit in with those dogs? And then if you – anyone listening, Google the video of Trevor, Trevor Lawrence sets a pick, and he sets a screen in an intramural basketball game where he destroys some guy. So don't it tell – it is an amazing clip. So if you yeah. if you have not if you've not seen it, just you'll watch it like five times in a row. Yeah. So don't tell me he doesn't care about winning because he does. He's he's a winner. He's yeah. won everywhere he's played. Like I thought, my colleague Grace Rayner, who's covered his entire career at Clemson mm-hmm. and a good amount of his prep career, she put it this way: Yes, he's a very laid back personality in person. But he is also the best competitor she's ever covered. Like, you can be both. Yep. And this feels similar, obviously a little bit different than the Josh Rosen conversation about did he like football enough? Was he, you know, whatever, right? But I I think that we've seen this in the NBA draft as well where – Anthony Edwards. Guys who have hobbies or interests or things that we know about them – downplay them because you're supposed to be obsessed with only this sport. It's supposed to be the only thing that you're spending your waking hours on, which is unhealthy, unrealistic. And I just, I remember like Willie Cauley-Stein was super interesting at Kentucky. He was really into art and fashion and all these things. I remember him having to apologize for that during the pre-draft process and say, no, he really cares about basketball. And you saw Trevor Lawrence have to put out a statement and say like, no, I'm a competitive guy. Like I really care. Like I am not uninterested in football and again only in a hyper masculine macho whatever world do you have to apologize for having proper perspective and playing a sport at an incredibly high level at a very successful level but having to apologize for liking something outside of it yeah I think ding 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 you hit the nail on the head um the two things I was going to go to one you you mentioned the hyper masculinity of it all Uh, a bunch of people who a bunch of not people, a bunch of men who have never played football at a high level, will never, can never, won't ever, basically asserting themselves via sports radio and, you know, whatever it is online, trying to say, no, if it was me, I I would die for this. And I'm like, really? Okay. And I want to take it circle back to the NBA thing because I mentioned Anthony Edwards because that's the first name that came to my mind when he said that, Basketball wasn't his first love. Football was. And, yeah, he's a kid that grew up in Georgia. Guess what? In Georgia, people love football. So that doesn't – you don't have to question how he feels about basketball. You just have to make sure you get him – you just have to make sure he's here to play for you, and he is. And that's the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. It's not – don't question his motivation because he showed up every single day for those Clemson Tigers, and he's ready to go out there and do his thing. It's one of those – it's an element in an area where they say, how bad do you want it? Or do you want it as bad as so-and-so? And I'll be honest with you. I really felt this way for a lot of my life. Like even going back to high school where I told my best friend and my little brother to go do something else instead of playing football because you guys don't want to stay after and run stadiums like I do. And 
It doesn't mean they didn't care about football. It just meant that, you know, they had other things in order. My brother wanted to go home so he could get his homework done. And now my brother's an engineer. So, hey, smart choice, man. Um, it just is one of those things where there is a level of hyper masculinity that goes into it where it's all, and not to borrow from the military, right? But it's all about like, what are you willing to give for all of this? And so with Trevor, when I look at him and I look at what he brings to the table, this is a guy that, let me put it this, I'll put it this way. If Christian Wilkins is willing to, is willing to ride for him, if, Nolan Turner's willing to ride for him. If Travis Etienne, if Jackson Carmen, if all those guys are willing to get on the ship with Trevor as the captain, then what more do you have to ask? What more do you, what more can you ask? If these guys are willing to get on the boat and let Trevor drive it, what more do you have to ask? I agree. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And this gets into our our last draft myth slash Mm -hmm. narrative. This one's a little bit more layered because it kind of goes to to smoke screens. It kind of goes to these perceptions of Mm -hmm. a Trevor Lawrence, of whoever else is part of this but there's a lot of coded language there's a lot going on with certain prospects who are rising and certain ones who are um you know suddenly everyone's raving about them they've impressed in meetings that they are you know mac jones might be the smartest quarterback available which again people are saying over like trevor lawrence is in this draft too what is happening with that and kind of the erasure sometimes of things that would have been red flags with other candidates? Like a good example of this would have been Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Who had some issues in his past, resisting arrest, some 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 unflattering moments, which and, you know, again, like it was weird because they kind of got grouped in with like the flag planting. And that was an issue where like, OK, these are very different. And people are like, oh, it's just Baker's personality. Right. It. Like, at what point is something an actual red flag and and who gets to have, like, possibly legitimate things that have happened in their experiences erased? I think it depends on how much you like the player, right? Like, if you're a writer for School A and you want to help promote, you know, a player for School A, then the way that you, you, you can omit some of those things. Like, if you're, speaking of Baker Mayfield, if you're someone from in an Oklahoma standpoint or you want 
Baker Mayfield to get drafted high, or you want this? To, you think it's going to reflect good on uh, a thing that you like or you enjoy, or you you um, stand for? So you, you leave out the resisting arrest, right? So you don't you don't include that video in your article about him possibly being drafted at the top of the draft. You don't include that. Versus if you're writing about someone from Texas and they, you know, they miss class and they got a DUI and now all of a sudden you're like, hey, there can be some red flags. So I think it's a there's a level of cherry picking that falls along the boundaries of like versus dislike, but also I think there's obviously the, 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 there's racial, there are racial lines and overtones. I also think that there are, there's an issue with respect to um, position. I don't know if is, is that's the right word, but kind of your positional perception, if that makes any sense, where wider, like it's, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot where, if a guy's viewed as smaller or harmless, maybe things don't seem so bad that he's done compared to bigger guys. And I think about that with like a Tyreek Hill, right? You look at him in the NFL and he looks like a little guy. And so some of his stuff kind of gets pushed more to the side than it would be if it was a, you know, a 300 pound guy doing the exact same things. So I think that's a part of it. I also think there's a part of it that speaks to publicity and time passing uh like you think about it like with uh like mac jones dui right and that happened in 2017 i believe and so it's under the window of well he's matured since then and i he hasn't been in trouble since then so it doesn't count and so it's i think there are so many different layers and factors to it like I don't, I don't like. I'll be honest. I don't know if a Justin, if Justin Fields got a DUI when he was at Georgia. I don't know that that gets that nobody talks about that. So, I think that's an that's an interesting question. It's something that is very frustrating. I think that ultimately for me, it's the um, it's not double standards because there is no standard. You think about the 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 Micah Parsons hazing. Um, situation and all those in that and that's just a thing that some people a lot of people don't know about that's easily googleable googleable it's easy you can look it up online and it's one of those instances where it's not again it's not a double standard because there's no standard what it what it ultimately is is it's a matter of who cares enough to push the discussion and if the people that are pro each individual specific player care more than the people who are like, yeah, but what about this thing? Then it kind of ends up being a little more buried in the public eye. Does that make, does that make sense? What I'm saying? No, I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Cause again, it's about which narratives get to become the dominant ones and who is allowed to have them. And so I just think all of this is a healthy way to look at what we're consuming what these narratives are, what the storylines are heading into the draft. And, you know, we're going to see how this goes. I, I personally think it's, you know, it's an annoying couple of months, but it is really cool to get to see these guys that we really like and we've covered get to achieve their life dream of, of being drafted. And um, I think before 
um, you know, I know you wanted to get into this um, for the last call. So I will, before I say too much more, I will let you take it away for your last call, which for listeners is either a we're cheersing to something, we are venting about something, we're doing something we would do in normal times at a bar at two in the morning. So take it away, Felder. Yeah, I um, I think that you, you mentioning doing it in a bar at 2 a.m. is pretty accurate because most of the time um, we would I would literally be with like my coworkers being like, dude, I hope this kid goes to the pros. I can't wait for them to go to the NFL. They're so good. And basically my cheer it's cheers to all these guys for getting to their goal. Um, whether it's Najee, whether it's Mac, I sat in the I was in the, I was a part of the Elite Eleven when Mac uh, was 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 competing. Mac Jones. I'm a big fan of his. Have been uh, for a long time. So don't get it twisted. Like I like Mac a lot. I just don't think he's better than Justin Fields. Uh, so it's one of those things where like I've been. I've I've stood in between Trevor Lawrence and and Justin Fields on the football field as they squared off against each other. And I'm so excited for these guys. I just it's this is one of my classes where I know a bunch of these guys. I've got so many notes on these guys and. Literally, I went back and like searched the first time I ever mentioned Najee Harris, and it was like 2015 or something, uh, being like, yo, this kid can ball. I called one of his high school football games. I'm so excited for Najee, so excited for so many of these guys. So like for me, yeah, it's literally like raising a glass, and this is going to be a draft. And I'll, I'll, listen, peel back the curtain a little bit. This will be a draft where me and my old team from BR – are in a group text and we're texting each other like ecstatic, like thrilled about all these guys that we either called their high school games, interviewed them, made features on them, did commitment videos on them. Like when Des Fitzpatrick gets drafted, I'm going to lose my mind. I talked to his dad pretty routinely and like when he gets picked, I'm going to go crazy because he's the guy. Like he not only did Des was Des like the commitment video that I got to kind of help plan out. And I, I ran sound on that. I ran sound on that video, Nicole, like the boom mic, like I was doing the thing and for him to get picked, it's going to mean the world to me, especially knowing that he played for my guy, Gunnar Brewer, who's the guy that recruited me to UNC. So I don't know this draft. A lot of folks think about this as just like work and industry and yada, yada, yada. And, I have so many real relationships with so many of these guys. Kyle Pitts, I'll never forget. Kyle Pitts DM me, and I put his info to one of our producers to help him get the to figure out a way that we could work with him to do a commitment video. Like these dudes are for real. Like Asante Samuel, I'm watching him go out there, and the way that he's so him and Amon Ross St. Brown, the way they got after each other at the opening was so dope. Like I just. I got a lot of skin in this game and I'm super excited to watch these guys go to the next level because to borrow from my old boss, Mark Cohn, like these dudes have been the future of football since they were juniors and seniors in high school. My last call is about playoff expansion. So just changing gears a little bit. Oh, um, oh no. <laughs> we will have pre- plenty of time to get into this in future power hours, but my last call is going to touch on this a little bit. There was a press release kind of buried on Friday coming mm-hmm. out of CFP meetings that they had a four-person working group looking at expanded formats. So this is 
a big deal and a small deal at the same time because we're still not there. We still have not rubber stamped something. We still don't know if it's going to be eight teams, 16, six, whatever. I feel like we have known for a while, I think people have telegraphed, that they are not pleased with the four-team field. That is, I mean, it's, it's better than it was, but it's not serving the overall goals. And I talked to all the commissioners about this in January, and this is just, again, a, a, a step further on this. This working group existed, but to put out information that they are looking at formats, that they are looking at not just six teams, not just eight, that they're looking at bigger than that. They're signaling, okay, we've, we've, we've decided, like, this is a thing. Yeah. And, and all of us covering the sport have known this, right? We've said, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work when you only have Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State every year. It doesn't, this doesn't serve the sport as a whole unless you just want it to become this little invitational. So my cheers is to the CFP for finally acknowledging publicly that there are such things as playoffs that are larger than four teams. And just putting it out there. I think this is gauging, not gauging, this is priming the public for an expanded field. The question is how big? The question is when? Because right now the contract goes through 2025-26. So we still don't know if they can do it before then. We don't know if this is just going to kind of be a slow process leading into the contract renegotiations, whatever it might be. But I will cheers to an official acknowledgement. Even if you want to slide it in in the middle of a press release on a Friday in the spring. Cheers to that for laying the groundwork for change. I am. uh, This is going to be such a long road. (laughs) It, It was to get to this point, too. I mean, I think people get really excited. And unfortunately, there's multiple layers. There's people who have to approve, recommend. I mean, it, it, you know, to, to get to the, all 10 commissioners and Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame AD, and the board of managers, a bunch of presidents, to agree on a model. Like, we've all argued about different models. We could tr- write something down on a bar napkin. I could say mine is better than yours. Yeah. And we could argue all day. I'm, I just am so... I'm fine with how it is. And so what happens next? Like, I just... The big thing for me, and I'll say this, and I have no problem saying it at all. I just would like other teams to get better. Instead of opening it up so that worse teams can get in, get better. Like Notre Dame, have some more explosive plays. Now you've got an opportunity. But this seems, it's felt inevitable since, honestly, since probably the first one, right? When TCU and Baylor got leapt over by Ohio State, it's, it's felt inevitable since then. And so it's going to happen. Let's see what it looks like. Maybe it's a six. Maybe it's an eight. But, man, the gap between teams four and eight have felt so wide. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. So, I'm I, listen, obviously I'm along for the ride. It's the job. But I'm, I, don't have to, I don't have to enjoy every step of the way. <laughs> Absolutely. We will have plenty of time to, to argue about formats and whether or not everyone should just get better um, in the future. But this was Michael Falder's return to Power Hour. 
he will be back. Chris Vanini will be back. We'll be back to college football content. Basketball is over. The draft will be over next week. And uh, and we'll be moving on to, to next season, the traditional offseason, all of the above. Felder, thank you for joining me, as always. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow. Ari Wasserman will be back with him. They will be up to their usual antics. And we We'll see you next Tuesday on Power Hour. I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening.